Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my absolute pleasure to announce that at great expense, this week's episode of Mini Mile will feature a very special celebrity who doesn't mumble. It's the international superstar, Mr. Sean Connery. Hello, Sean. Hello, Michael. Good start. At least he's legible. So, Sean, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. So... Sorry, what was that? My pleasure. Pleasure? Pleasure. Oh, pleasure. Ah, well, uh, um, mine too. Uh, so, Sean, um, why should listeners book tickets onto the world-famous Murder Mile Walks? Well, I love Murder Mile Walks because... Oh, God. What's he saying? I understood murder. Or it could have been mother. Then I heard him say wax. Or was it wanks? Oh dear God, what kind of walk does he think this is? Well, it is in Soho, so uh, what do you expect? Oh God, this is a nightmare. The best murder mile walk in Soho, which is full of shitty killings, bad stabbings, scary suspects and grisly deaths, can only be found on murder mile walks. The best murder walk in West London. Isn't that right, Bob? I'm sorry, is this a conspiracy against me? Yes, and if you don't like it, you can stick it and speak to my Shalesta. Right, Sly? Oh, God. I'm so fucked. Yes, you are, shunny boy. <laughs> Thankfully, Our regular episodes of the Murder Mile True Crime Podcast will return next week, followed by a multi-part series. And then, Mini Mile will return. But before that, there's this. Friends, welcome to Mini Mile, your indispensable compendium of UK true crime trivia. This week, we'll ask what jobs do most serial killers do, Can stomach contents determine a time of death? 
We discover the best and the worst countries to be convicted of murder. We ask, do cannibals still exist? We read a rather whiny letter from the scorecard killer, Randy Kraft. And we discover how close to heaven can one of God's disciples get in the West End. And with only one week till your regular Murder Mile episodes return, here's this week's episode of Mini Mile. So, let's kick things off with a little How do you do? By learning more about some infamous murderers and serial killers Serial killers? Shut up, Sean. On a more social level. This week, jobs. You can't make a living from killing. So how do most serial killers and murderers make a pretty penny? We've all had a different range of jobs in our lives. Myself, I've been a podcaster, a tour guide, a script reader, a cardboard box maker, a deli assistant, a photographer's assistant, a warehouseman for Woolworths, where I ate my weight in pick and mix. I worked in a car plant where I de-rusted G-clamps. I've been an admin assistant for a bereavement counselling service. And for many years, I was a secretary. And a bloody good one at that. Just so you know, I was a milkman. Really? You were a milkman? And how did you cope with orders of skimmed and shemmy-skimmed? Ha ha ha! Ah, shuck it! Once again, this isn't a scientific study. It's just an interesting little nosy into the lives of 32 infamous serial killers and murderers, taken at random. So here goes. In 15th place, factory workers. Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, was a factory worker at Baird Television, where he worked on the packaging line. And Jeffrey Dahmer worked the night shift as a chocolate mixer at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, during which time he kept a dismembered head of one victim in his locker. In 14th place is hospitality. Richard Ramirez was a night porter at the Holiday Inn, where he used his passkey to enter victims' bedrooms. And Colin Ireland, the gay slayer, was barman at the Admiral Duncan on Old Compton Street, Soho location of the infamous Admiral Duncan bombing in 1999. In 13th position, drivers. Fred West was a van driver, Peter Sutcliffe was a HGV driver, and Derek Bird was a taxi driver. In 12th position is government and state. Dennis Nielsen was a civil servant and a union rep. Theodore Ted Bundy was an administrative assistant to Ross Davis, chairman of the Washington Republican Party, and David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, was a postman. In 11th position, prostitution. Rosemary West and Aileen Warnos were both prostitutes, whereas Dorothea Puento was a brothel owner. In 10th position, landladies. Dorothea Puento and Catherine Flanagan and Margaret Higgins, a.k.a. the Black Widows of Liverpool, all owned boarding houses. In ninth position, crime. Richard Ramirez was a burglar. Henri Desiree Landrew, the lady killer, was an embezzler. Peter Curtin, the vampire of Dusseldorf, and Colin Ireland were both burglars. In eighth position, catering. Dennis Nielsen was an army butcher. John Wayne Gacy was manager of a Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
Fred West was an ice cream man, and Jeffrey Dahmer, the Milwaukee cannibal, was also a sandwich maker. In seventh position, administrative. Dennis Nielsen was executive officer at a job centre. Moore's murderer, Ian Brady, was a clerical assistant for an engineering firm. Joel Rifkin was records clerk at Times Square stores. Moore's murderer, Myra Hindley, was a junior clerk and typist. And Theodore Ted Bundy was a researcher for DES, a government agency involved in the search for missing women. Yes, you heard me correctly. In sixth position, children's services. John Wayne Gacy was a clown and children's entertainer. Beverly Allett, the nurse of death, was a babysitter. As was paedophile and child murderer Albert Fish. Amelia Dyer was a nanny. And the Wisconsin murderer, cannibal, grave robber, necrophile and inspiration for the film Psycho, Ed Gein. He was also a babysitter. And apparently... He was a very good one, too. In fifth position, retail and sales. Henri Desiree Landru, the lady killer, was a second-hand furniture salesman. Michael Ryan of the Hungerford Massacre was a part-time antiques dealer. Ed Gein was an insurance salesman. Michael Lupo, the wolfman, was a florist and a sales assistant at Yves Saint Laurent on Brompton Road in London. Joel Rifkin, a.k.a. Joel the Ripper, was a florist's clerk. And John George Haig, the acid bath murderer, was, ironically, a life insurance salesman. In fourth position, military. As mentioned, Dennis Nielsen was an army cook. Richard Ramirez served in the US Army during Vietnam. Henri Desiree Landru was in the French Army. David Berkowitz was in the US Army. Michael Lupo, the Wolfman, was in the Italian Army. Jeffrey Dahmer was in the US Army. William Burke of the Body Snatchers was an officer's servant in the Army. And Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler, was also in the US Army. In third position, Housewives and Mothers. Rosemary West, Cynthia Kaufman, Faye Copeland, Janie Lou Gibbs, Judy Buino, Kristen Gilbert... Mary Elizabeth Wilson, Rhonda Bell Martin, all had multiple husbands, and including Tilly Klimek, all murdered their own husbands and their children. In second place, construction and engineering. John Wayne Gacy was a builder, Fred West was a builder and a plasterer, and many homes in Gloucestershire have plaster work signed by Fred West. Albert Fish was a painter and an odd job man, Michael Ryan of the Hungerford Massacre was a handyman. Ed Gein was a carpenter. Ian Brady was a labourer. Joel Rifkin was a landscape gardener. Anthony Hardy, the Camden Ripper, was an engineer. John George Haig was a mechanic and an engineer. And William Burke and William Hare, the body snatchers, were all labourers and navvies. And number one on our list is, of course, medical. Dr. H.H. H. Crippen was a homeopath and iron ear specialist. Orville Lynn Majors was a nurse. Dr. Harold Chipman obviously was a doctor. Dr. Thomas Neil Cream was a doctor. Beverly Allett was a nurse. Amelia Dyer was a nurse. Amy Archer Gilligan was a nurse and a nursing homeowner. 
Dorothea Puento was once a nurse's aide. Jane Toppen was a nurse. Judy Bueno was a nurse. Kimberly Clark Science was a nurse. Kristen Gilbert was a nurse. Linda Hazard was an unqualified nurse. And Velma Barfield was also a nurse. And that is the caring profession. Oddly, this is a list of professions that you are most likely to trust. Are you surprised? You probably thought that truck drivers, butchers or army soldiers would probably be higher on the list, but they aren't. Maybe you thought that teachers might appear somewhere. Well, they do, but just not on this list. For that, you'd need to read up on Mohan Kumar, Kevin Paulus, Andre Chikolito, Ronald Jansen and Atale Phillies. And what about the medical list? How did that become number one? Well, in truth, it wasn't. It was actually way down on the list of male serial killers' jobs. But when I added in females to the list, it shot right to the top. Statistically, female serial killers are young, middle class, usually married, and oddly, are deeply religious, who work, in inverted commas, in the caring profession with vulnerable people. And given that they are more inclined to poison their victims, a method which leaves very little trace of the perpetrator, female serial killers are less likely to be caught and often have a longer career as a killer, with men lasting just two years and women lasting between eight and eleven years. And yet one profession was strangely and ominously absent, with the exception of David Berkowitz, the son of Sam and that is, the postman. Why was there only one postal worker on the list of serial killers, giving the prevalence of the phrase to go postal, meaning to shoot your co-workers dead, with 40-plus people being gunned down from 1986 to 1997 by postal workers alone in the US? Why? Because even though a killing spree by a postman does seem to be an oddly recurring occurrence, the killer tends to target very few victims, usually less than three, who are specifically chosen, usually their boss or a colleague who they have had beef with, and usually their killing spree ends with them killing themselves. You know, I'm licensed to kill. No, Sean, no you're not. You're an actor, and the only thing you've ever killed is vowels. The sale of adult nappies... That's for anyone who's ever watched the film Zardoz. Ugh. And any attempt at an accent. Oh, look who's talking. Yeah, fair enough, Sean. Fair enough. And now, it's time to get technical. That was my opera version of Let's Get Technical. I hope you liked it. So let's fling out the unwashed adult-sized leopard skin onesie, the bum bag of failure and the stinky ugg boots of regret from those CSI-style crime shows and ask the question, how does it work exactly? This week, stomach contents. Can you tell a person's time of death from the partially digested food in their stomach? We've all seen it on those crime shows. The pathologist pulls open a corpse's stomach, pokes about in the grub guts, has a quick sniff, and deduces they died 57 minutes ago 
At Benny's Diner, they had a number six blue plate special. Oh, God, that accent. It was shit. Shit? Like your accent in The Untouchables, Sean. Ah, touche. Well played. But can you accurately determine a time of death and location based on the contents of a victim's stomach? Well, no, but it can be a very useful guide to eliminate and establish some theories and facts. The digestion of food, from the ingestion via the mouth to the excretion via the anus, in case you didn't know, varies between men and women. But on average, food takes between six to eight hours to pass through the stomach and the small intestine. And to exit the large intestine, also known as the colon, the digestion of food takes on average 47 hours for women and 33 hours for men. Although different foods digest at different rates, with fish and meat taking the longest, then fruit, vegetables and fibrous foods, with sweets and pastries digested the quickest. And excluding any medical factors which could slow down the process further, such as IBS or Crohn's disease, the digestion of food is slow, varied and indeterminate. Once a person dies, although the stomach acids remain intact, with no muscles, blood flow or working organs, digestion effectively ceases, especially as, during rigor mortis and liver mortis, the body's liquids sink to the lowest part of the body. When a pathologist examines a corpse's stomach, if the stomach is full and the contents are easily identifiable, they can deduce that death took place less than two hours after the last meal and can also identify a possible location for this last meal. In the case of Evelyn Hamilton, the first victim of the Blackout Ripper, because they knew what time she had eaten, roughly 11pm, and in roughly what area as well, Marble Arch. Because her stomach contents mostly consisted of beetroot, police determined that the only restaurant which matched those factors was Maison Lyonnaise. So based on her stomach contents alone, they could trace her last known movements. If the stomach is entirely empty, the pathologist can deduce that death took place at least four to six hours after the last meal. If the small intestine is also empty, death probably took place at least 12 hours or more after the last meal. And if the large intestine, the colon, is also empty, that says that the victim hadn't eaten for at least a day to two days. It's not very accurate, but it does give a rough timescale to a person's last known movements. And the type of food digested can also help establish other factors, such as what they ate, where they were, who they were with, were they travelling, were they anxious or relaxed, and by checking the stomach for swelling, infection or bleeding, that can also indicate the presence of poisons, toxins, bacteria, alcohol or drugs. So for a pathologist, it's an invaluable piece of their arsenal of indispensable tools. And talking about arsenal... Hello, hello, hello. My name is Police Constable Arsenal Guinness of the Metropolitan Plot, investigating the theft of my copper's notebook. What was nicked while I was busy confiscating six very suspicious 
for equally passable Arsenal season tickets from a right wrong'un called Dave, who I does not know. Isn't that right, Dave? Yes, mate. Point? Just the one, Dave. I'm on duty. Therefore, whilst my notebook is missing, I shall investigate reports of illegal goals by Chelsea, (coughs) poor quality beers on sale, and public displays of nudity by several very busty ladies, what I shall investigate with my video camera over the next eight days. Evening all. So, whilst PC Guinness is away, using his notebook, shh, I shall bring you some murder stats. Yes, these are the most recent homicide statistics on murder in England and Wales. England and Wales? What about Scotland? I, I don't know, Sean. It's, it's, it's not on the list. And Northern Ireland. Oh, piss off Jimmy Nesbitt. You can't even pronounce your own name. I can. I'm your mother. Jamie Nasbat. Who? Jamie Nasbat. See, I told you. Now, there are 58.7 million people in England and Wales. Over a one-year period ending March 2018, there were 762 homicides. That's the same as the state of Ohio, which in comparison has a population of just 11.6 million, a sixth of Great Britain. So comparatively, we're pretty safe. 499 of those homicide victims were male, that's 69%, and 227, that's 31%, were female. Of those 726 homicides, 125 homicides were amongst 16 to 24 year olds, 140 were against 25 to 34 year olds, 119 were against 35 to 44 year olds, and 109 homicides were against 45 to 54 year olds. But sadly, the highest rate of homicides is still against babies under the age of one. The culprits. of all female homicide victims were killed by either their partner or their ex-partner. In comparison, only 1% of male victims were killed by their partner or ex-partner. Men were most likely to be killed by a stranger. That's 35%. Whereas for women, it was 17%. 25% of men were killed by their friends or associates, compared with just 7% for women. And for those under the age of 16, 25% were killed by a parent or a step-parent. Weapons. For both male and female victims, 39% were stabbed with a knife or a sharp instrument, 15% were kicked or beaten to death, and less than 4% were shot. Locations. 77% of female victims were killed in or around a home compared to just 40% for males, whereas 32% of male homicides took place in a street, a path or an alleyway, compared to just 7% for females. Motives. A staggering 87% of all homicides are connected to some form of illegal activity, whether drugs, drink, gambling, theft, extortion, blackmail or prostitution. And yet most staggeringly of all, 94% of all homicides were committed by men. So, if you don't want to be murdered, 
and I'm guessing that you don't. The safest place to be in London is standing within 10 feet of police constable Arsenal Guinness, whilst dressed in an Arsenal top, clutching a 48-pack of Guinness. And statistically, if you're a busty female, your survival rate rapidly increases to 100%. And that, folks, is a scientific fact. Charming nice bat. Yep, you're almost there, Jimmy. Keep trying. Order, order. The very honourable, but only with fresh corpses who he treats to dindins at Nando's. Ah, sweet seeping Susan. The very honourable Judge Michael presides and states to you all, in a voice which sounds like sliced alone needs more bran in his diet as I give you a quick overview of true crime legal info. Silence in court. This week, where's the best and worst places to be convicted of murder? So, if you're going on your holes, and let's say over a few complimentary cocktails, you plan to pop off your papa, mangle your mama, shred up your sister, or boil your bro... Here's a list of countries to avoid. Startlingly, more than 60% of the world still has the death penalty for murder. So countries to avoid are China, India, some states in the USA, Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Iran, almost all of the Islamic countries, as well as Japan, South Korea and Taiwan. If convicted, the following countries don't have a minimum term of sentence before parole is considered. Afghanistan, Azerbaijan, Belize, Egypt, Estonia, Indonesia, Iraq, Jordan, Kyrgyzstan, Laos, Lebanon, Morocco, the Netherlands, Nigeria, North Korea, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Syria, Tajikistan, Tunisia, Turkmenistan, China, but this is only denied for very violent crimes, and Cuba but only if you're pardoned by the president himself. So the longest minimum sentence for murder before parole is considered, Jusino is in Turkey, and that's a minimum of 24 years to 40 years. And the shortest is in Canada, just seven years. And although most countries have a maximum sentence for murder, the average sentence is between 15 to 25 years. But the longest sentences for murder are in Albania, Armenia, Bolivia, Brazil, Ecuador, and surprisingly, the Vatican City. Yes, home of the Pope. And if you're convicted of murder there, you can expect to serve 30 to 35 years in prison. As well as in Croatia, Honduras, Kosovo, Serbia and Spain, that'll be 40 years. Rising up to Costa Rica and Bosnia and Herzegovina for 45 years. Panama for 50 years, and Mexico is 60 years or 70 years if the murder involves kidnapping. And the longest maximum sentence for murder is in Colombia and El Salvador, which is 75 years. But then again, Britain does currently have a whole life tariff for 72 murderers. So technically, we win! Yay! Of course, if anyone touches my cakes, that's an instant death penalty. No trial, no jury, just death. The Queen does it herself. 
she grabs her royal axe and knocks your dirty block off. Failing that, she'll insist that you're a passenger in a car driven by Prince Philip. Good luck to you all. Right, now. Because I've run out of livers to sell, kidneys to pawn, hair to flog, and nobody wants my love gloop, as I'm now so old. Honestly, it comes out less like a splat and more like a poof of powder, a bit like a sherbet fountain. So I have to whore myself out, simply so I don't starve. Therefore, here's a really awkward space for a... Hang on a minute. Hello? Hiya, Acast here! Oh, hi, Acast. So, what is it this time? A survey about the best jacuzzis? A planning order to have everyone's desk in your office fitted with a cocktail bar? Or a petition to get your office masseuse a knighthood? No, actually. We wondered what kind of advert you'd prefer in your show. Oh. What? Oh, oh, okay. Um, well, uh, 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 I don't know. Um, cake? Sponsorship by Mr. Kipling would be great. Okay. Um, I don't know, maybe some beer? Okay. Um, and uh, some kind of perfume for uh, Sweet Seeping Susan, as, you know, it's getting hot and uh, she's getting a bit whiffy. Okay. Well, that all seems good. Uh, but we thought, uh, what about some products more appropriate to you? Okay, uh, like? Like Tosspot. It's a dating app for sad, fat, bald men. Because, you know. Uh Uh-huh. Or bloke bangers. It's a bra, but for men. Uh Uh-huh. And? And Zumo. It's an app which instantly deletes your internet history. Because, you know. Hey, that's research. It's for the podcast. Yeah, whatevs. Or, we thought, we could just target all the makers of Vodka Disco Jenga, Hot Tub Motocross, or Cupcake Karaoke. Not that we're hoping for any freebies, but you never know. Well, yeah, this all sounds very promising. Um, So, um, does that mean I'll actually have an advert in this week's show? Yeah, it does. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the advert. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Uh, so, Acast, um, was, was there actually an advert for any of those items just then? You know, Mark, I don't know. I see. And now, on with the show. Dedications. Dedications, ooh, dedications, what you need. Yes, folks, I'm delighted to say that this week's episode of Mini Mile is personally dedicated to an incredibly special man whose birthday would have been today, Thursday the 25th of April. His name was Ken Manley, and he was the beloved grandfather of Cynthia, the great-grandfather of Beckham, a curious toddler with great taste who's a big fan of Murder Mile. And not only was Ken a truly exceptional homicide inspector in San Francisco in the 1960s and early 1970s who solved every single one of his 440 investigations, but he was also the technical advisor to Clint Eastwood and Steve McQueen on films like Dirty Harry and Bullet. And as a truly great lovely and thoughtful man who remains in Cynthia's thoughts, this whole episode is dedicated to Ken Manley. And if you would love an episode dedicated to a loved one, or even yourself, book one via the Murder Mile merch shop. Hello, my name is Jet the Ripper, and I am a serial killer. Not a lot of people know that. Markle, What are the best explosives to kill someone? Oh, Mr Ripper, uh, thank you for returning a previous segment of... The The Murderous Handbook! Unfortunately, I haven't researched that because I didn't know that that's what you were going to say. But uh, I don't know. Um, uh, uh, Best explosives? Uh, TNT? Dynamite? I mean, it's it's stable, it's reliable, and you can legally buy it with a license. Um, so I, I guess that's it. The answer, TNT. Uh, does does that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you, Michael. I shall use it to blow up some prostitutes. I told you to blow the bloody whores off. Uh, I'm sorry, Mister Ripper, but d- did we really just do that section? Just so you could do that joke? Yeah. Not a lot of people know that. 
Shit. Charlie Nye's bot. Oh, shut up, Jimmy. Anyway, let's dip our dainty little toes into... The Strange Zone! Well, I share with you a tidbit of true crime trivia, which will make you go, Ooh, Michael, your true crime trivia is so orgasmic. I'm about to make my O-face moan like Meg Ryan in the days before her 15th facelift and wibble my naughty bits till I cream my khakis. This week, we'll ask, do cannibals still exist? Well, as hard as this information may be to digest, excuse the pun, yes, even in Western civilization, we still do have cannibals, even today, whether as murderers who wish to devour tasty souvenirs of their victims, as with serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer, Andre Chicolito and Albert Fish, isolated families like Sawney Bean of Scotland, and even in incidents such as the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, which crashed into the Andes, and the survivors were forced to eat their recently deceased to survive. No, not that way. So yes, cannibalism still exists. What follows is a small sample of various incidents of cannibalism over the last 20 years, which you may or may not have heard about. If you're listening to this whilst eating, it may be best to stop. If you're eating another person, may I recommend some seasoning? Or failing that, just some ketchup. So here goes. On the 26th of May 2012, Rudy Eugene, who was 31, viciously attacked and began to eat and digest the face of homeless man Ronald Popo, who was 65, by the side of the MacArthur Causeway in Miami, Florida. The incident was caught on the Miami Herald security camera, which witnessed both men, naked and bloody, thrashing around on the floor until Eugene was shot and killed by the police. Having survived, Popo received facial surgery and counselling. March 2001. Armin Muse of Essen, Germany, posted an advert online requesting a young man for him to kill and eat. Amazingly, Bernd Jürgen Brands replied, met with Armin, offered himself up, and died by being stabbed in the neck and was chopped up and served with garlic and olive oil. In total, Armin ate 20 kilos of Brand's flesh, having frozen the remainder to eat later. In 2004, Armin was convicted of manslaughter, but in a 2006 retrial, he was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to life imprisonment. Oddly, Essen, where he comes from, in German, that means food, but it is also the verb meaning to eat. In 2009, Chef David Vines murdered his wife Dawn, slow-cocked her corpse in a 55-gallon drum over four days at his restaurant, known as the Time Contemporary Cafe near Long Beach, and then he let her remains cool, strained her out, ate some of her flesh, and then dumped the remains of her corpse in the bin. On the evening of the 30th of July 2008, 22-year-old Canadian Tim McLean was asleep on a Greyhound bus near Manitoba when a man sitting next to him, Vincent Lee, an untreated schizophrenic, repeatedly stabbed McLean with a large knife in the neck and the chest. He beheaded his victim and began devouring some of McLean's flesh. 
now known as Will Baker. Lee was found not guilty on the grounds of diminished responsibility and was granted an absolute discharge and he currently lives at home under minor medical supervision. July 2002. Three men and one woman, all residents of Zietmor in western Kiev in the Ukraine, were arrested for killing and cannibalising an 18-year-old girl, having lured her into the forest on the outskirts of the town. Black magic books were found at the couple's flat, and this murder is believed to be part of a satanic ritual. In February 2004, 39-year-old paranoid schizophrenic Peter Bryan walked out of a psychiatric unit in Newham, East London, and visited his friend, Brian Cherry. A few hours later, police were alerted by neighbours to screaming coming from the flat, and as they entered the kitchen, they discovered Brian frying Cherry's brain in a pan with a small knob of butter. In July 2013, police in Salerno, Italy, were alerted by neighbours to a foul odour emanating from the flat of 45-year-old Lena Renzi. Inside, they found him cooking some intestinal chunks on the grill, which belonged to his 73-year-old mother, Maria Pia Gorali. She'd been beaten to death, chopped up with a saw and a butcher's knife, and popped into various pots, and then bagged and placed in the fridge for further meals. April 2011, in Daria Khan, in the Punjab province of Pakistan, two brothers, Farman and Arif Ali, were arrested for grave robbing and cannibalism and served two years in prison. Upon release, they were re-arrested just a few months later when police caught them in their kitchen making a curry out of a human corpse. This time, it was a two-year-old child. On the 8th of October 2008, Mexican police attempted to arrest Jose Luis Calva Zepeda for the suspected disappearance of his girlfriend, Alessandro. But upon entering his home, they found him eating a bowl of human flesh, which he'd seasoned with lemon. On further inspection, various parts of Alessandro's dismembered corpse were found in the refrigerator, in a frying pan, and some of her bones, which had been gnawed clean, were found in a cereal box. In May 2009, in Bakersfield, California, PCP addict Angelo Mendoza Sr. was charged with torture, child cruelty and inflicting an injury to a child, having eaten his four-year-old son's left eye and attempted to eat the other. Upon arrest, his son, Angelo Mendoza Jr., stated to the police, My daddy ate my eyes. Mendoza Sr. was found guilty by reason of insanity and Mendoza Jr. has regained some sight. On the 13th of April 2012, Tokyo-based activist and artist Mao Sugiyama cut off his nipples and his genitals as part of a stunt to promote gender equality and asexuality, and served his testicles and penis at a public event which was served with button mushrooms and parsley. 70 people turned up, but only five people ate his genitals. They each paid a hundred thousand yen. Well, that was yummy, wasn't it? And if you're interested in becoming a cannibal, I heartily recommend that the best parts of a person to eat are the Winky, the Bot Bot, and the Nunu. Bon appetit! 
Hey, what's that plopping through my letterbox? Is it a stack of love letters from Princess Kate? Telling me how she regrets marrying the multimillionaire and future king of England, Prince William, and much prefers sad, fat, baldy losers? Sadly not. Is it a lifetime invitation from Mr Kipling's cakes to visit their factory, also known as heaven, and to eat as much cake as I like? Fat chance. Is it a diagram of an arse and an elbow which has been mistakenly sent to me instead of to all British MPs, as clearly they don't know the difference? Again, sadly not. So what is it? It's... The Dead Letter Drop! Yes. Each week, I shall read you a rather mundane letter written by a serial killer. This week is the turn of American serial killer Randy Kraft, also known as the Scorecard Killer, who murdered at least 16 vulnerable and even homeless young men between 1972 and 1983, mostly in Southern California. And it is also believed that he raped and murdered up to 51 other boys and young men. He is currently incarcerated on death row at San Quentin State Prison, and he is a man of no remorse. So, this letter is a one-page typed letter, with a letterhead at the top marked Randy S. Craft, Box E38700, San Quentin State Prison. It's dated the 1st of November 2001 and it's clearly a mail out with a handwritten note at the very bottom and as there's no introduction or even a hello at the top it simply begins like this. I have been here at San Quentin's since late 1989 and for most of that time, including now I have been dirt poor since condemned prisoners in California are not allowed to work or to have business or income. Yes, Randy, it's called prison. You're being punished for your crimes. But anyway, please continue. I, like all the others here, depend on the charity of people like you for money to buy simple necessities and foodstuffs. Although not allowed to work, a prison store allows me to purchase $180 of supplies a month. The state of California has determined that $180 a month is a reasonable amount of money for a prisoner to spend. Since I have been here, I have rarely had $180 to spend. I have done without for long periods of time. This year, to date, I have received a total of $237 in contributions. And some of that has been taken by San Quentin for fees and charges. I need you help. He's misspelt your. San Quentin allows you to send me a money order or check made out to Randy Craft for any amount and as often as you like. Include it in the same envelope with a regular letter. Please do not send cash or stamps. Money orders are processed fairly fast, whilst personal checks are held for several months by San Quentin until they clear the bank. Please. You say that your interest is friendly and that you want to correspond in a friendly manner. I believe you. So please do what a friend would do in these circumstances. You can help. Please send a contribution. Randy has not bothered to sign it off and at the bottom is a handwritten bit that says, John, thanks for the letter. I hope to hear from you again. Randy. 
Gosh, I hope Randy was sent enough pocket money by John so he could buy some sweeties. As they're clearly best buddies. I don't think I'll rest until I know. Eek! Poor Randy. And finally, folks, before I stare at the salad before me and decide, ah, balls to it, I'm treating myself to a kebab and chips tonight, as I have walked 150,000 steps this week, oh yes, and I deserve it. Here's a little dollop of quickie news, just for you. This is a story of Cochita Petros, who's 44, a devoutly religious man who studied philosophy at the University College London, business at the Metropolitan University, and was a chaplain in the Archdiocese of Southwark, South London, who arrived in the UK in 2007 from Ethiopia with a view of helping Ethiopians in the community. A good man. On the 18th of January 2017, having claimed he was having problems with his bank account, Petros arranged to visit the HSBC Bank on Oxford Street in London's West End. But upon entering the branch, he began hurling insults at the staff, and as Christine Giddens and Toy Selenk tried to calm the out-of-control priest, he punched both women in the face and attacked employee Robert Goodwin, who tried to assist the ladies. And as PC Tim Copsley arrived, Petros lunged at him, punched him in the face, in an assault which was described as violent and aggressive. After his arrest for multiple assault charges, the wild-eyed Petros, who as part of his work had visited several hospitals and prisons that day, was found to have taken or ingested a large quantity of methamphetamine. To which District Judge John Zanni quipped, That doesn't just happen when you sit down for a cup of tea. <laughs> when he witnessed his actions on CCTV, Petros stated, That is me, but it really is not me. It is in complete contrast to my lifelong mission as a priest. District Judge John Zanni later said, These actions deserve imprisonment. However, in my view, this was completely out of character. You are a man of no previous convictions who devotes his life to the care of others. Therefore, I don't think it necessary or appropriate to send you to prison today. Petros was found guilty of one count of assaulting an officer, two counts of assault, one count of common assault, and one count of causing damage to property. He was given an eight-week jail sentence, suspended for two years, and was ordered to pay each of his victims £250, with £620 costs, and a victim surcharge of £115. All I can say is God works in mysterious ways. And now you know. So, my sultry and rather sexy pod friends, that was your weekly dose of Mini Mile. I hope it was bum-fondlingly good, with added nipple tweaks and winkle dangles. And as I still need a bit of extra time to research the new exciting Murder Mile multi-part series, I'm going to roll out 10 brand new and previously unheard Murder Mile episodes. Oh yes, single episodes, just like back in the good old days. And that will then be followed by the multi-part series. And of course, if you have any comments about Mini Mile, 
any original questions you're desperate to know the answer to, or any unusual topics that you'd love me to research and discuss, let me know. You can contact me via email, my website, or social media. A big thank you this week to my new Patreon supporters, who were Thomas William Hughes and Vicky London. As well as a big thank you to Cynthia and Beckham for purchasing their episode dedication to Ken. And a thank you to everyone who has supported Murder Mile by purchasing mugs, stickers, fridge magnets and the new official Murky Miler badges. Ooh, only available via the Murder Mile merch shop. Mini Mile will be back in a few months. Murder Mile will be back next week. But before that, here's my recommended podcasts of the week. Love to you all. Tati bye. It was a dark and stormy night. Wait, why does it have to be dark and stormy? Yeah, why can't it be daytime and clear skies? Oh, for f**k's sakes. <laughs> Join us bi-weekly on Coast to Ghost as we take a trip cross-country digging up the ghost of your state. Drinks are included and pants are optional. You can listen to Coast to Ghost on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to get spooked? Hi, we're the Grave Girls from Grave Girls Podcast. I'm your host, Hawthorne. And I'm Amaryllis. Every week we watch a different horror film, and I find a scary story that goes with it that will definitely leave you shaken in your boots. And if you aren't wearing boots, my true crime case and murder will scare the pants off you. And then you'll just be naked, and that's just that's just a fun time. So listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to check out our website at grave-girls.com. We love you all in case we die. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.